think VR is such a double-edged sword in the regard. The positive is, like you said, you know, anyone can be anything they want in the VR world. They could be whatever avatar, and, you know, like you said, an octopus if they choose to be one. So, you know, they're able to express themselves in a way that, you know, they don't feel comfortable public. Um, but then there's a double-edged sword of that is that, you know, people and humans need human touch, right? They need human interaction. Like, I think there was a study that said even adults develop and they're able to grow with a certain amount of physical touch daily. That's a very important aspect of human uh, life. So do you think that VR, like, takes away that aspect of just, uh, you know, authenticity and how people are going to be, I guess, they will become more disconnected to real life because they'll find more comfort in the virtual world where they can be whoever they want, feel free from judgment. No, no, What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Seed Phrase Daily. As always, we like to keep things interesting around here. We are not your typical Web3 resource. The conversation that is about to take place is one that I personally have never had before, and you've probably never heard before. We're joined here by Angelina, the founder of RD Land. She has been described as the woman who is reshaping cyber sex. Angelina, thank you for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here and to have this exciting chat. Um, yeah, I'm really excited. So with Seed Phrase, you know, we usually cover topics regarding crypto, NFTs and their application. And so when I first started researching RD Land, you know, I'm, I'm a bit ignorant on the metaverse. I'll be honest. It's not my forte. But the overarching principle and the reason that we're all here today is because we believe the world is headed to become more digital, right? We're literally putting our livelihood, our careers on the line as bets that the on the fact that the world will be more digital. So digital currency, cryptocurrency, digital ownership, NFTs, and that includes digital sex. You've probably used Tinder. I, I know I have, but um, that is very Web 2, right? So let's talk about the future. Let's talk about Web 3. By 2024, this industry that you're in is predicted to be a $40 billion industry. So, Angelina, for the listeners who are completely new to RD Lands, can you give us a bit of background of what it is exactly? Yes, with a pleasure. Um, so, uh, RD Lands is a very unique and one-of-a-kind metaverse that you will literally not find anywhere else. And what makes us special is that we are adult safe space uh, for very specific communities. So we're, uh, uh, we're targeting underrepresented communities um, um, such as LGBTQ, BIPOC, especially mm -hmm. equal people, women, LATAM, um, that you know, quite often struggle to have the freedom of full self-expression on our more conventional Web2 platforms, but also to you know, find like-minded individuals and make meaningful connections. So um, in a nutshell, Arndt Land is like, a, like adult uh, Disneyland in a metaverse. So if you think of every cool thing we can do in a physical world, but uh, put that on steroids, uh, that's what you'll find in our land. Give us an example of what steroids looks like. You know, you said it's on, it's like an adult Disney world on steroids. Give me just like an example or, or several examples, mind you, for of what that looks like. Yeah, definitely. Well, uh, things can range, you know, from like very um, extreme things to more uh, conventional. So, you know, we can start from, attending immersive galleries that uh, are going beyond, you know, the norms of gravity and the physical uh, laws of, you know, universal nature that otherwise would not be possible. Like, can you walk upside down in the, in the real world? No, you cannot. Um, and, you know, when we, go, we talk about, uh, you know, artists and their expression of their, their, their minds and their visions, you know, you cannot, you know, limit somebody who has all that imagination in a in a framed uh, box, right? And presenting that in a sterile, wide environment, uh, like we you know, like we're used to experiencing art in most cases, it's also, you know, doesn't let the artist to fully express express themselves. But by providing them a space where, you know, they can create the world and the room as extension of their vision, you know. That's what allows users and the fans of that creator to step into their mind, to step into their world. Um, so that's more like, you know, on the general side, like you know, what, what everyone, you know, is, is exposed to in other metaverses and everyday life. If we go a little bit deeper to that, um, you know, we had a really this fun, amazing um, collaboration, which we did with the project called uh, Cyber Mushrooms for, um, for, the, for the Easter. 
And instead of traditional um, Easter hands, we had a magic mushroom hand in our land. <laughs> so instead of taking like a physical drug, you would actually search for the virtual and um, you would have to jump from like world to world to find these mushrooms, which would then unlock um, uh, the whitelist access to these magic mushroom NFTs that would allow you to have like a psychedelic experience um, inside your computer pretty much, right? So um, that was like a taste, like a tester of that. The, the further we go, the more, you know, things like that will be also developed and expanded. Um, and then obviously, you know, when it comes to like relationships and um, building the intimacy uh, with people, you know, that's something as well that um, our Deland can offer to people. Um, right now we have um, this prototype in like a testing condition. It's not available to public at this point, but there are some links that I can share later and you can put in comments as well so people can learn more about that. But we need some harder prototypes that would allow people to have multi-sensory erotic experiences online with their partners who are located in different parts of the world. And um, by that, you know, we opened like a whole range of new experiences that we can program into the system that would affect us on a multi-sensory level. Uh, and that's something that, you know, we, we can do in the physical world, but we do have, you know, those limitations that wouldn't allow us to go beyond, beyond the nature, beyond, you know, this world that we're physically inhibiting. Um, so, yeah, I hope that that paints yeah. the picture of, of the rest. I love of that. I love that so much, specifically because this is something I've talked about before, which is a lot of the metaverses that I've noticed, especially the one developed by Meta or Facebook, um, they try to, they mirror what real life looks like. Like the avatars look like real people. The world kind of looks like the world we already know, except in a lower quality version. And I think that's such a shame and a disservice to what this technology and what this innovation can provide. Like we need to be more creative. Like, I don't know if you know about um, the artifact NFT Nike release where they released this shoe. It was going for crazy amounts of money, but the shoe just looked like a regular Air Force One. Where, like, where was the creativity? Like, there are so many possibilities with this technology, and I don't think mainstream uh, institutions are taking advantage of that, which is what I think is so cool about RD Land because you guys are really going head first in the creativity aspect of it. Um, and something I noticed when I was um, researching you guys is so you call the experience XR, right? Or extended reality. And I'm very used to seeing VR, which is virtual reality. Is there a difference? Can you talk about the differentiation and why you call it XR and not VR? Yeah, definitely. So before I do that, I want to make a point on what you said before that I could not agree more. And you're literally speaking my words. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I've been working in VR for like seven years before starting Art Land. And every time we would have a brief, you know, they would, it would be like to create like another, you know, realistic version of something that already exists. And, yeah. you know, me, myself coming from art background, I was always trying to resist it. And I was like, why do we want to recreate what we already have? You know, go take advantage of the physical world because you can only have that in a physical world. And let's be honest, like nature is the king in what it does. Like we can have all this, you know, cool stuff with Unreal 5 engine and everything, but still nature will, will dominate this natural market, right? And like we have yeah. this whole untapped potential, exactly like you said. And uh, that's why, you know, we are taking specific approach in our visual language and also in the language of physical embodiment at Artilan, because our avatars look nothing like regular humans. We're actually launching a collection of our NFT avatars uh, later this year. Um, so definitely stay updated about that because though those are going to be like, nobody has ever seen anything like that. <laughs> uh, but I can talk more about it a little bit later. So to answer your other question about XR, um, basically XR is, is stands for extended reality. And it's literally the umbrella term for everything related to extension of how we perceive reality, obviously. So it includes VR and AR within itself. Uh, but also mixed reality. So that's mm -hmm. why we went for this umbrella term instead of specific, specifying on one, because our intention is to cater for all those areas of extension. Uh, we started with, with VR um, just because um, when, when the whole sort of evolution of um, Ardeland happened, we were still in a pandemic space and um, uh, we moved, you know, our entire production because because before Art Land we were doing a lot of events to educate people about the subject. 
and we moved into existing VR platforms to, to continue our activities. And then we realized that actually everything which is out there in the market doesn't really cater to our audience because our people are not able, um, you know, the community is not able to access different spaces because of hardware limitations. That is why we're building our Deland on the web. So any person, regardless, you know, their background or their financial status of ge their geolocation can enter the space because all you need is literally a web link. Uh, right. And then obviously, if you have VR headset, great, you know, you can have more, a more immersive experience. But even if you have mobile phone, you can still be included, um, you know, at some at some form of the uh, engagement. So um, to that extent, um, obviously, now, you know, we are shifting to a new way of existence because, you know, we all got used to uh, the remote connectivity and virtual experiences and online events. But we also have this now opportunity to step into the physical world back again. So now we're pushing the whole concept of mixed reality experiences a little bit further up. Um, probably the one after would be to finalize the whole sort of collection it would be support for AR. But for now, it's not really like um, in the top priority for us because mixed reality is where I personally see the future because it's mm -hmm. neither going to be one or the other. It's going to be a combination right. of both when yes. one complements yeah. the other. And the great example in the use case, uh, which we lately did, was, was our um, Burning Man camp, which we uh, supported. Um, so independently from Ardeland, I started this collective called Cyber Dreams, which is uh, pretty much like the, the Burning Man camp. And what Ardeland uh, did, uh, we provided a space and we hosted uh, their mixed reality camp. So the camp existed in both in a physical and a virtual space. And uh, there were two types of lineups that were happening. One type of lineup, which was, well, actually three. One that only existed in a physical space uh, exclusively. The other that existed in both spaces. Um, so it was um, live streamed into the virtual from the physical and vice versa. And then the other that existed only in the virtual. So different uh, exhibitions, different rooms and, uh, and events as well. Um, we tried to mirror it as much as possible so that when you would enter the virtual while being at the, at the physical, things would align and you would have this, you know, mixed reality experience by being present in a both uh, place at the same time by, while hanging out with people in the real world and with people in a virtual. So I, I want to touch up on one of the things you said about sensory specifically that really draws uh, curiosity for me because I, I don't know is, you know, obviously I know VR, you put it over your head, but you talk about an overall immersion, immersive experience. What does that sensory look like? Is there is there like nodes that are attached to basically every part of your body? I mean, how do you incorporate the virtual aspect, but also give that physical sense where you're, you know, you could physically feel it, but also see it in the virtual world. So can you explain that a little bit better? Yes, definitely. And um, there are multiple ways of how that can be possible. So um, the prototype, which we did, we actually developed a hardware in-house for that to happen. Um, so what we did back then in that research study, we created like a collar that would emit sensations of smell, which were synchronized mm -hmm. uh, to the events in a physical world. Uh, smells were have to be preloaded in the collar. Um, there were two outputs at the back, uh, two fans, sorry, and the outputs in front. Uh, one would be directed to one of the nostrils. Um, and um, then we had um, like haptic actuators, which were like placed around your body. Uh, and those motors were basically sending um, sensations of touch, well, as a, uh, well, as much as possible to the closer to reality. Yeah. You know, it, it, it obviously, you know, there is still sensation is not like, you know, human hand touch. We're, we're not there yet. And, you know, if we talk about even like advanced technology, like Tesla suits and all, it's still not going to feel like, you know, like the actual, you know, fingertips are touching you. Uh, but the brain does crazy things when you give it enough of different inputs and data to process and build the connections between them. So, you know, when you are seeing the virtual trigger that is causing specific uh, action and you feel that feedback on your skin, even though it may not necessarily feel like you would expect the human touch feel in a physical space, your brain will sometimes starts making some crazy new connections that still work on you in the same way like it would in a physical space. Um, so yeah, so that hardness was basically transmitting sensation of touch of your partner in, in a virtual space. So whenever, you know, some like your partner would touch your arm, you would feel that sensation and then that would trigger a visual response in the mm -hmm. environment. So in that particular scene, we had like, um, like a galaxy forming around you. So the more you would interact with your partner, um, 
the more evolved the world around you will become. So, you know, you're kind of creating this universe together with your loved ones through interaction with each other. Um, so that was what's happening in that scene. That um, is so cool. Like out of all the metaverses I've heard of, I've never felt like it would be something I would want to be a part of personally, because I'm not a gamer and I don't really, I'd prefer to be in real life rather than in a digital real life. But this is something else. It's a different category where your mind and imagination can be expressed. And I would love to be a part of that. Um, but what I'm wondering is like, as you're coming up with this ideation, what was the initial inspiration of it? Like what ha clicked for you that was like, oh, I'm going to make this RD land? To be honest, it's a long story and because it kind of ties into my entire like life choices, I'd say. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll keep it short. So I started my sort of creative and artistic journey um, doing, you know, sculpture, performance art, often utilizing my own body as my as my art making tool. Like mm -hmm. I, I had never had patience, you know, to go and like draw portraits and landscapes. It was more like, you know, what do I have available at hand? Like, I'm going to throw it all on the canvas and see what happens. It was more... You know that approach that i had um but then um you know my subjects were always tied around the ideas of sexuality and in futurism and robotics you know and our identity and you know who we are as humans and why we are in this body so i had a lot of questions um starting as like a young aspiring artist and i've been using you know obviously all these tools to express and question these things um mm -hmm. i was always curious person and i was always driven by the question what is next that's why i never stayed um you know at the level of the sculpture performance i started exploring you know digital design graphic design um gain education in that um and then um i came across the, on, of the idea of a future a sustainable future and um because i was always into tech and uh, like i was always having debates about like what the future going to look like right like is it going to be that dystopian picture that everyone paints where you know ai takes over and we're all like living this like you know uh, capsules we're being fed through, through the different tubes and cables like is that the future we're going towards and people were like you know sort of um critiquing me it's like oh that's what you want for, for the society and i was like no right we can find a way how we can live in a harmony with the nature around us so uh in my research i came across mushroom mycelium being sustainable material and uh, i attempted to grow vr headset out of that material uh which actually turned out to be a working headset <laughs> but uh at that point i also created my first uh, 360 film on a process behind it and i just got lost myself in vr world from that point because for me that was the question the, the answer to my question what is next and after obviously digital design in 3d uh op opening up myself to vr was the most sort of logical evolution step I've been working for seven years in different agencies, different studios, I'm working for some, uh, you know, big brands, but I kind of hated it because um, coming from our background and growing VR heads out of mushrooms, <laughs> being told that my triangle is not the right angle, I was like, maybe you should hire somebody else, you know, if you have that many restrictions to, to you know, to how do you want things to look. So I, in 2019, I, you know, end of year resolutions and all that, I, I had like breaking point after which I was like, I don't want to go back to corporate world. And, um, I, um, I wanted to do something for myself, like something that would make me feel better about, you know, my human existence, because, um, none of those projects were making change in the world, right? Like they were selling another product of the other, of another brand. And, I personally, you know, I would read some articles, you know, about some people that I know, uh, you know, making all these great things, you know, they're changing how, you know, we're going to live in the future. And I'm like, what am I doing? Like, what am I contributing to the future of society? Right? I'm just like helping somebody sell shoes, like great that I'm living by myself. Um, so at that point, I decided to do like a research project um, to feel better about my, you know, personal sort of human existence. And that project was tied around uh, um, creating a research about uh, sexuality and sexual arousal mm. in the hyperspace and how we can, you know, experience on a multisensory level because I wanted to, I discovered my all day passion and I decided to combine with what I learned um, in my corporate world. So because I was really lucky when I was working in a corporate world to have the access to all possible technology that at that point was not even close to the mainstream. Like we had, you know, like 
we had a little robot in our office uh, when people were only seeing them, you know, in some like articles, you know, we had always like the, the new headsets, which at the time were, were not as affordable as now, where you can go and buy, you know, a headset for like hundred bucks. At that time, you know, prices would start at like one and a half K and we all had it in office. So, you know, I was exposed to all that and it was just like a shame not to use that knowledge. So, um, Research was initially meant to be like more journalistic piece of work. And then mm-hmm. um, when I was presenting at one of the conferences, I was like, I might as well do the practical study and see what happens. So um, that was the beginning of um, you know this journey. Um, that's when we conducted that study, created the rig that I mentioned about uh, previously, um, wrote a paper, published the paper, realized that people are very new to the idea of, you know, cyber sex and abstract eroticism because a lot of people think about that as you know episode of a black mirror um yeah. especially yeah. you know lately when the last last season came out about you know those two guys who like fell in love um inside <laughs> are. and that's part of the bottom line where, where people kind of they kind of treat that as such you know but the reality is that we it is here already it already exists and even like interactive elements like, you know, like, um, like different online chats and the role-playing games, they are parts of that, you know, virtual eroticism that already taking place and started like in, you know, early nineties when the internet originated. So, but nobody's thinking about it in that way, right? Nobody's thinking that that was the evolution of what we currently describe as like VR eroticism. Yeah. And we started doing events to educate people on that. Um, back in London, where I used to live at the time, um, COVID started. We moved into other platforms to continue what we do. And at that point, we faced some tremendous amount of censorships and bans um, by, um, you know, creating educational content, creating, you know, even sometimes therapeutic content that, you know, would help people to get together, you know, to share things that um, is on their minds, but which sometimes they're not permitted to share in, you know, like a mm-hmm. regular setting. And um, sort of the largest... Um, so the, I guess the most important point at which like I decided that, you know, now we're building our own offering were, were actually two moments. The first, when we created um, this amazing community event called Uncensored Chats on Outspace VR. And the point for that was to create a safe space in, in virtual reality uh, for people to come completely anonymously and share things about their sexuality uh, mm. with their group of strangers that, you know, they may never even meet again. Um, yeah. which creates that level of comfort because they don't know who you are. They don't know where you're based. They don't know any information about you, right? They're all just like virtual creatures. Um, and that gives people opportunity to open up because, you know, their face is not visible. The only, the only thing that somebody can recognize is their voice. But in most cases, you know, you really need to know somebody to be able to, mm-hmm. to recognize their voice. And um, we had some, like, crazy things happening there. We had... Um, one of the highlights was this man who, who was in his like late fifties and he was from middle East and, um, he opened up about, um, having like gay fantasies for the first time in his life, because in the place where he lives and he, where he was brought up, um, and the way how he spent his, um, marriage, he would not be permitted to even say that, you know, to even his wife, because, it's completely against, you know, their, um, the social structure. And he felt, you know, that that space was comforting enough for him to open up for the first time to random strangers at such age, which was for me was like mind blowing, um, that, you know, that we helped people to like come out, um, in such an environment. And, um, those events got banned and censored, uh, by the platform owners, uh, by the management, because we violate community guidelines, but talking about sexuality in public spaces, which is completely ridiculous. Yeah. Um, after that, we had enormous amount of other like bans. And, um, the last one was when we created, um, a camp, uh, for the first virtual burning man. And, uh, we had artworks with digital nipples of humans that never existed. And, uh, the entire space got permanently removed, uh, from the platform. And, uh, at that point I was like, you know what, like, this is just impossible. Like this shouldn't, it's not supposed to be happening. Like what is the world that we're building? Like, okay, we understand, you know, like where this is coming from, coming from, you know, all these corporate platforms and them trying, you know, to, uh, to do that, to push their obviously revenues from the mainstream 
content, but like, if you think about those who are growing up in this environment, like, right, like younger audience, um, they're, they're programmed from the early age to consider themselves, their bodies, their sensuality as a taboo, as something they should be ashamed of. Um, that's something that cannot be accepted, cannot be seen, cannot be shown. Um, is that really the future we want to build? Is that really the mentality we want, you know, the younger audience to have? Um, I'm not talking about, you know, exposing them to like porn, which they can actually find, you know, by, by, by pressing two, two buttons on the keyboard, you know, I'm talking about, you know, educational content that is required for younger generation to grow, you know, as in like aware, aware beings. Anyway, um, long story short, um, that was the bottom line after which I was like, you know, we have to take, you know, like ownership in our own hands and create an offering that, you know, would be uh, accommodating for people who otherwise get banned and censored and are not able to express themselves openly in such a sterile web to environment. Yeah, no, I'm honestly so glad you brought that up because you've actually changed my understanding of what this technology can do. Um, I just want to, so, you know, because when you look up RD lands, there's a lot about virtual sex and stuff like that, because that's what gets clicks online, right? So that's a lot of what the coverage is. And so I was like, okay, let me, let me research more about what the reality is in the real world regarding sex. And, you know, you probably know more about this than I do, but what I found was that data showed in the United States, teens are losing their virginity later and later in life. So when they're 17, as opposed to the average, which used to be 15 or 16. And not only are they losing their virginity later, they're also less frequently sexually active. So those moments of intimacy and sexual activity are happening less. And not only teens, but on average, teens and adults, the rhetoric right now is that people are less sexually active. Um, and I was thinking, of course, well, that time has to be replaced with something, right? So I was thinking maybe it's, we're just online all the time. Like we're on our phone, we're on the internet, we're playing video games. Maybe that's one way that we've taken away from those real experiences. And then I thought, okay, well, there has to be something else too. Maybe it's because porn is so easy to access. Like you said, it's two buttons away. Why would you get up and put in the effort of having sex when you could just watch it on your phone at home comfortably? But then I found a statistic that said masturbation is also decreasing. So I was like, okay, maybe that's not it. And you said um, people don't feel safe and there's a taboo with sexuality. And my initial reaction was like, okay, well, if we incorporate intimacy, dating, and sex into the metaverse, into XR, is that going to take away and make that statistic even worse? But what you said made me think, no, it's actually going to make people more comfortable, less taboo, maybe give them a space to explore that will make them more confident in real life as well. So my question to you is like, what do you think the impact realistically will be as we see this become this digital world becoming more digital in terms of intimacy, sex, and dating? Yeah, that's a really great question. And, you know, there is no like one answer because it really depends on the demographics within which we're looking to establish this answer. And I'll explain on that. So uh, we, did a, we did some questionnaires within our community to understand, you know, who are the people who want it, right? Like, what, what, what makes them want it? And of course, you know, there is a percent of like hedonists who want to have a good time, who want to try new things, you know, who want to explore, who generally, you know, satisfied with things the way they are, but, you know, they're looking for that extra kick. Of course, there always will be that people. But the reality is a little bit different uh, when we look at, you know, things on a grander scale, because then there is a layer of people who are somehow limited from having full experiences in a physical space. And by that, I'm talking about, for example, like especially able people, you know, people who are restricted um, on different psychological or physiological levels. Um, also people who did have some traumas, especially, you know, women with sexual assaults. Um, and, you know, unfortunate numbers of these are growing despite everything that, you know, is happening. And, you know, despite all, all the movements and awareness that we're bringing to the cases, it's still not really going down. 
Um, because, you know, in virtual space, the victim of abuse, they can control what's happening to them, right? If they don't feel safe, they don't feel like they want to continue the experience, they can always, you know, click the escape button, uh, yeah. which unfortunately, you know, we cannot do in a physical space. Um, so they have the ownership of their own experience, which obviously, you know, helps them to come out, out of the traumatic experiences that they had. Then we have people in long distance relationships and, you know, the more we, obviously COVID showed that, you know, it's, it's a thing that is going to continue and the whole sort of like sales of sex toys during COVID also like escalated, like by some crazy numbers up. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's a fun experience. I can be wrong. Like it, it cannot be like replaced uh, we cannot replace replace like physical interactions with virtual that's a fact and that's not something that you know we want to encourage people to do in fact we want people to use this technology to expand and extend their experiences so obviously long long distance is one of the use cases for that but um you know even when you know you are with a partner in the same space and you you know you want to try something new you want to see see each other as like you know different creatures different beings you know it can add that extra level of spice in your relationships right like would I ever turn into like real life octopus? Well, <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> Unless I guess it depends on how much substances you would take. But like <laughs> taking out of the equation, most likely no. I would still remain in my human form. But like in a virtual space, I could be anyone and anything. Um, mm-hmm. so then we have the element of um, of adult workers um, because they also see that as something that they can use to expand and improve their mm-hmm. offerings to their to their yeah. clients because. Once more time, as I mentioned, they can be anything and anyone. They can play out any scenario, um, any type of fantasy that the client may want, um, which uh, also gives them ownership of their own content and of, of their own, um, you know, income and pay. Because we are also based, um, we are also launching token very soon in our space, so yeah. um, they will be able to to earn and monetize what they do uh, right at RD land. And, uh, and lastly, it's safety um, for them as well, because they are, um, you know, not at risk by being, you know, forced to do things they may not want to, or the risk of abuse, or uh, the risk of, you know, some local law enforcement that may come in place based on where they live. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's an excellent. Well, I was, I was going to say something, something that, you know, backtrack a little bit. You know, I think VR is such a double-edged sword in the regard the positive is like you said you know anyone could be anything they want in the vr world they could be whatever avatar and you know like you said an octopus if they choose to be one so you know they're able to express themselves in a way that you know they don't feel comfortable in public um but then there's a double-edged sword of that is that you know people and humans need human touch right they need human interaction like i think there was a study that said even adults develop and they're able to grow with a certain amount of physical touch daily it's a very important aspect of human uh, life. So do you think that VR like takes away that aspect of just, uh, you know, authenticity and how people are going to be, I guess, would they will become more disconnected to real life because they'll find more comfort in the virtual world where they can be whoever they want, feel free from judgment. And do you think that kind of just kind of shifts away a lot of our current, what it means to be human? Do you think that'll take away from just being human? Well, we, we are already not humans as we used to be, you know, even 10 decades ago. Uh, what I like to call us is transhumans because that's pretty much who we are. These days, we are already extending our reality and our perception of ourselves and each other with technology that we have. Um, you know, our phones, our computers, our, our everything, you know, all the technology that we currently use, it's already taken us out of our regular human way of how we would interact right we're having this conversation right now being in all parts of the world uh but connected you know within this virtual screen right the next step out of it would be you know us meeting in the virtual space and interacting as avatars so we are already on that transitional wave whether we like it or not whether we want to you know accept it or not some people you know take it even step further by creating you know some augmentations to their bodies by you know, um, implementing like different biochips into into their skin that allow them to develop extra senses, you know, and convert like video waves, uh, the division into audio. There is this guy with antenna, I forgot his name. Um, he's actually colorblind, but he, he converts um, the colors from the real world into music. And that's how he knows what color things are. Um, isn't that a cyborg? It is a cyborg, right? So we already like, you know, step closer to it. Like bionic arms and legs, 
for the amputees that you know operate even better than like the physical one so you know we're already transmitting we're evolving as pieces um now uh, whether you know vr whether some people are gonna get lost in vr or not like i mean that's that's something that you can transmit to, like uh, relate to any other um, area of human existence right like some people getting lost in like drugs right some people getting lost in like things like meditations for example which is complete opposite of it right but like there will be percentage of people who may find more comfort existing you know primarily living in the virtual spaces and i think that's okay i don't think that you know the whole world will you know suddenly you know completely switch off and live in a virtual space because the more we develop technology the more i personally believe it's going to be mixed mixed reality type of approach where things exist in additional in addition to the to the to, to the physical that expand on it and and make things you know more user friendly more convenient more faster more attractive more visual uh more entertaining um and um in the end of the day you know when it comes to like uh, disconnecting on a more physical level um you know technology like the whole immersive tech is still in its infancy and um there are a lot of cool development, like literally like almost every week I see like new articles about some startup developing new type of gloves, a new type of smell emitting machines and all. Um, the problem is the um, adoption, which, you know, is still something that, you know, we as a community need to um, encourage and reinforce that people are more willing to accept these new innovations and see the purpose and a use case of them. But also the other thing that kind of, you know, becomes a problem is today's price of these like it's only recently vr headsets became affordable right to everyone uh, where the price you know doesn't go more than those you know, 300 bucks if you want to get you know oculus um if you want to get a full body suit you know that we would be still looking at some you know big numbers like 3k plus and you have to be really into this right to to go and make this investment for yourself and maybe for your partner um, but again you know if the suit would cost 200 bucks would you not buy it just because of curiosity um i don't see a reason why not and then you know comes question of the content um why people wouldn't make these investments today because there is not much content that would be designed yeah. specifically to uh trigger um multisensory reactions mm -hmm. so it's it's still in the early days and um we can talk about its hypothetical future of people getting like so disconnected um, but I think uh, we are really far from that to happen because the technology is really not at that level for it to go mass today. But I really see that that's something that will get into adoption in, in the coming like five plus years for sure. See, so that was my next question I was going to ask you because you said you've been in the VR space for seven years now, which is a significant amount of time. And you said the technology is far, far away before it becomes super realistic. You said five plus years. Where, where do you see, you know, in your opinion, you know, metaverse becoming like more mainstream, maybe not like super advanced, but when you'll just see more like users start hopping into the metaverse, when, when do you perceive foresee that happening? Yeah, I mean, we're already in a good place comparing to where we were seven years ago, I have to say. Uh, like recently I was reading this article, um, I forgot who was the brand, but basically as a part of the New York Fashion Week, which was hosted in the metaverse recently, um, some brand created like a virtual experience of how would the fragments feel if it was you know virtual journey and i was looking at this article and i felt like so devastated because literally like five years ago i was working for um uh, for this agency and we did um like vr experience for hendrix gin uh and uh, the brief was to create like a visual virtual journey of how the gin would taste and that was like five years ago and I was looking at this, I was like, oh my God, it took people so long, you know, to actually get this concept at the mass media level. Um, because that was like the, I, I have to look for this article, but it was like a really famous um, um, media outlet. It wasn't like some niche um, uh, magazine or anything. So comparing to where we were five years back, we, we were already, you know, seeing people like dropping the word metaverse at any possible occasion and which kind of, I have like double feelings about that. At first, I'm happy that people are, you know, getting more educated about, you know, um, the future of the internet and the future of virtual reality and us as the social beings, you know, interacting and using that space for, um, for our communication and businesses. But then on the other side, it kind of creates a lot of noise because again, people are getting educated, but they're not getting full education to understand what is the difference, right? Between all this, you know, hot keywords that uh, buzzwords that we see everywhere online 
So then it creates noise, which then doesn't allow those who want to find, you know, valuable, meaningful, meaningful projects to find them because everything gets, you know, this bus tag next to it. So um, good and bad. But uh, I think, you know, we need like another maybe like three years or so for more for more brands to pick up, for more collectives to understand how to use technology, because there is a lot of interest, but um, there is still lack of education on how to use this technology. Um, but where we are today, you know, I, I'm happy to see this progress because, you know, also back, you know, like a few years when we started doing VR, I also stopped, stepped into the whole Web3 world and the crypto space. And we were also running events to like educate people on, on the subjects. And I guess myself then I also didn't quite know what I was talking about, but I was like, yeah, crypto, it sounds like a cool thing, you know, let's educate people about it and kind of figure it out together. But even then we were talking about, you know, like user experience being really poor. That was the reason, you know, why people wouldn't adopt it that, that fast. And where we were then to where we are now, there we had like a huge jump up, like huge. The user experience now is the king, right? It's like the first thing that you want to tackle is the simplicity and usability of the product. Because, you know, once things are portrayed, you know, in a light, bright, easy to consume way, people will be more eager to, you know, adopt it and explore it and learn more about it, which wasn't the case for everything related to blockchain and crypto, like even like three years ago, right? It will be like dark and, you know, some creepy uh, banners and looking like, you know, somebody going to try to sell you some organs or something. <laughs> so, um, you know, we as a community, as a society that, you know, like thriving for these changes and evolution of this technology, we did a lot in the past few years to move it to where it is now. And, you know, if we continue in the same way, if we continue building communities around, you know, these topics, around these industries and continue, you know, inspiring each other with projects related to, you know, Web3 and the metaverse, um, I think like next three years, we're going to be in a really good place for the for yeah. large adoption. You, you definitely said it. I mean, crypto is definitely one of the biggest drivers for the metaverse, right? Because it's the blockchain, everything's transparent, but it's also the aspect of the metaverse also has that monetary appeal that the users will be able to get now money through crypto and blockchain. There's that compensation aspect. Um, so I'm going to ask you, because we're a crypto podcast, you know, we talk about a lot of Web3 stuff. I want to ask a little bit about your crypto journey. When did you get involved in crypto? But also, are you a maxi of any coin? Because I can tell you, Parisa, she loves Bitcoin, doesn't like anything else. I try to get her on Solana. She's not crazy about it. She's like, no, just Bitcoin, Bitcoin, Bitcoin. So is there any like crypto like that you specifically are maxi over? Or are you just a fan of everything? Yeah. So um, I think uh, when did I first get into crypto? I think I bought some Bitcoin in like 2015, I guess. Nice. Um, but I think I kind of like, I didn't understand what I was doing. I was like, there's this weird thing somebody's talking about. I might like, get some. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just, just going to, you know, follow some instructions, like cold storage, what it is. Sounds scary. Uh, wallets, whatever. So I, um, yeah, I just bought some um, Bitcoin and then kind of like forgot about it. And then the whole sort of hype started to build up. You know, the prices started to grow. And I was like, oh, interesting, you know. So... And then uh, in 2017, um, when things kind of like escalated quite a lot, I also introduced myself to Ethereum, which also at that point started to kind of, you know, um, gain more more more, um, more popularity and, you know, more utility and more projects started to use it. And I don't know, just somehow like the whole environment around me started, you know, like top crypto everywhere. Like obviously, you know, my Google search uh, was part of the reason <laughs> for the algorithm to feed me the right content. But also the environment around me, like all of a sudden, you know, everyone in London were talking about crypto and has started to like, you know, host different events around the subject. So, you know, I kind of followed the flow. Um, at that point, people also were very new to the whole idea of DAOs. And, uh, you know, I started to kind of explore more about, you know, this sort of utopian idea of a different way of how organizations can work. So it was more sort of like a personal sort of, you know, journey and um, mm -hmm. trying to make sense out of it myself before, you know, I would go out and, make a project, you know, related to you, uh, to this and based on this. And then, um, and then, yeah, and then obviously, you know, market crashed, um, like we all remember. And, um, I kind of had a moment of like, I'm done with this, but I still kept my, um, whatever, whatever was left because I didn't cash out. I actually kind of like lost everything that I almost like earned during that time. Uh, you know, which was kind of all right, a part of the journey, but you know, I always had the belief that, you know, one day, you know, it's going to be the future. Like, 
regardless, you know, how many times he's going to fall and, and fail and, you know, make people really upset. But, um, you know, it's, it's the way, you know, how we can uh, move forward because, you know, I was always like a rebel in everything that I did. Um, and I do still, uh, you know, resemble the same rebel spirit. And, you know, the crypto was the way for me to kind of, you know, step away from, you know, this governmental system that we're stuck in and um, it's not really profiting anyone apart from people, you know, in that sort of um, circle. And um, for me, I guess initially it was more just kind of, you know, doing something against the system. Um, yeah. That was kind of my personal sort of drive to start to, to, to learn about the space. And... Uh, and then, yeah, and then um, things kind of got back to normal, more or less. I started, you know, opening my eyes to other coins. Um, I have a portfolio of different coins at the moment. Some were not as successful like the others, but um, it's like a trial and error. Um, at the moment, personally, I, um, I mainly own Ethereum and, and Bitcoin at this point. Um, the, the smaller coins that I have, it was more just kind of, you know, like, playing and seeing what happens um I, I i tried trading at some point in my life but i i my my, my mental uh, structure is not designed for that i was getting too stressed and that's something that you cannot do if you're trading like you cannot get too too emotionally attached to to the grounds and to the jumps so I, I tried for a few months and i was like no i gotta i gotta drive myself crazy and i'm gonna burn myself like before i before it's my time to go if i gotta continue doing it so that's why I found my piece by at, at creating projects uh, that are based on a blockchain instead of like taking the other route. And I feel way more content with this path because, um, you know, this way we can actually, you know, like create a lot of interesting and creative uh, use cases for crypto in our space and, you know, encourage people to also create more and earn more from, from their um, imagination. Yeah. Let me let me ask you, if there's one coin that you could hold forever, which one would that be? And then what is a coin that you would never touch with like a 50-foot pole? You would never even consider buying it. Maybe you have bought it in the past, but never again. Mm, that's a good one. Um, I think Ethereum. Like, I, 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 I really believe in Ethereum. Um, like, I, I really like it. I would hold it. Um, um, I would never touch who... <laughs> Dogecoin. The reason why I ask is because I noticed that uh, there's RD coin, which is your token that is built on Ethereum. Mm -hmm. And it's just kind of your, I guess, access to your ecosystem that you're building. Can you touch up on like when the release date's going to come or if you have any insight on that and just further what just, you know, RD coin will just act, give access to? Yeah, definitely. So uh, we're looking to be launching RDC um, early next year. Um, plans got adjusted with the market situation recently, so we believe that would be the better time to to make the launch. Essentially, RDC will be um, the blood and ether of uh, the entire ecosystem of RD land. So everything that you can do in a platform will be linked to our our token. Um, so starting, you know, with things like uh, like a marketplace transactions, um, going all the way to fund rooms, uh, uh, payments on subscription basis, um, events, um, land ownership, the, the rental as well of all the assets on the platform. We're gonna have a lot of different staking rewards that will also be available at airdrops uh, of RDC. To people who are you know contributing to the ecosystem we have some really great like social encouragement karma type of mechanism that we're going to be implementing as well um so there is there's lots of different applications of it and um you know if everyone wants to contribute to uh, the ecosystem and build and create with us um they would be uh, lucky users of RDC and owners of it as well. Uh, of course, you know, RDC is not compulsory for people to enjoy the metaverse. Um, you know, everyone is very welcome to, you know, just to join space, uh, you know, but the moment they want to engage and interact with the ecosystem at that point, everyone would be very encouraged to participate in, in RDC. That's this awesome. Yeah, that is awesome. This has been such an insightful and exciting conversation. I am totally bullish on RD land. 
And to wrap up this podcast, we like to ask our guests a spicy question at the end. So here's my question for you. You've heard of play to earn. You've heard of learn to earn, stake to earn. But what about sex to earn? Is that something that's going to be incorporated in your metaverse? Well, we had um, thought of that. And actually, there um, there is... I, I've seen some startup who are trying to do that. Um, but there, that was kind of like a spin off uh, this um, stepping, you know, stepping, right? Yeah. So yeah. they were kind of like a spin of that. So that would synchronize with your like real life activities. And the more you have sex with somebody, the more you would get these points. But, <laughs> you know, I am not a fan of that idea. Personally speaking, I, I feel like... Yeah, our sort of structure, uh, our sort of model is make to earn, right? So mm-hmm. we want to encourage people to create experiences in which people would be, you know, feeling comfortable to to step into their eroticism and step into their, um, you know, into what they want to do and create with other people. But commodifying sexuality, you know, we've been doing it for so long already, right? We've been like trying to put you know, sex sells, right? We were trying to put like sexuality on like literally the packaging of every single thing and commodifying it even further, um, I don't think would, you know, add to the sacredness of it that is already being sort of flushed away um, by everything that we've been encountering so far. So um, this is not an approach that we would like to encourage. Yeah, I can see a lot of like ethical issues coming up with that as well. I mean, we already have OnlyFans. We don't need to take this further. But I really appreciate you joining us and opening our eyes to a new metaverse that I personally have never heard of. And I'm very excited to see it. Um, any last, anything you want to leave our audience with? Anything they should be expecting in the future from you or dates to keep out for? Yes, definitely. So we have like two big updates coming this year. So we are launching Elemental NFT project, uh, which is our avatar project. So we're going to be launching the web page for you as well in the coming days. But in the meantime, to stay uh, up to date with the project and everything else that Ardalant is doing, um, feel free to join our Discord. Um, I hope we can put the links below in the comments so people can click and, and follow through. Um, so that is really big update. And the other one is that we are launching our beta also by the end of this year, which we're hoping to synchronize with our end of year Winterfest festival. So, uh, also for the exact dates and the launch times for our discord to stay up to date with all the news and, and further information. But yeah, these are the the things and I invite both of you personally to join our, uh, Winterfest and to participate in our uh, private sale of elementals as well. I would love to, thank you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure talking to you guys. Of course.